forward to what the Lord may have in store for us this morning. Let's read in John chapter 11, please, once again. John chapter 11. We have two more weeks in this chapter. Actually, uh, next week, hopefully, we'll, we'll look at two responses to what we read in this chapter. And uh, hopefully, we'll have time next week to get into both of those responses, because I think they're an important part of what we've been studying here in John chapter 11 in the resurrection or the yeah, resurrection of, of Lazarus. We're going to begin reading at verse 28 and we're going to read until uh, verse 44 this morning. Speaking now of, of Martha, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying, to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also could have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And, Lazar and Jesus lifted up his voice, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. For I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this that they might believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave cloths and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Father, we again acknowledge the responsibility that is given to share your word. And we pray that your spirit might work, that your spirit might speak to our hearts and lives. That the words that we've read may have meaning and purpose to us in the day and age in which we live. May you be honored and glorified and your son lifted up. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
Isabella Trotter was a missionary for 40 years in Algeria. She had gone there at the end, or actually at the, in the middle or the end of the 19th century, in the beginning of the, of the 20th century, which was a very difficult time. She had, she had actually grown up in a, in a very privileged home. She was quite the artist, and she grew up in this very privileged home with, with a lot of wealth, a lot of substance that her family had, and yet the Lord touched her heart and moved her to give her life for 40 years serving the Lord in Algeria in hard times. She wrote a, she wrote a pamphlet one time called Focused. And these are the words, these are some of the words. of. And I would encourage you to even find that pamphlet focused by, by Isabel Trotter and read the full thing. But these are words that she said, and I quote, Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And the divine trait which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. While Helen Lamel read those words of her friend, and while going through some personal trials, she penned the familiar words that still bring direction, still bring comfort to our hearts when we sing them. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's chance for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through life, through death into life everlasting, he passed and we followed him there. Over us sin no more has dominion for more than conquerors are we. Let's sing that chorus together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Alistair Big, we've all listened to him and heard his words many times. He wrote, More spiritual progress will be made through failure, disappointment, hard times, and tears than will be discovered as a result of success, laughter, easy times, and trivialities. Now, we've been calling what we've been looking at in this chapter, as we find spread throughout all the Scripture, we have been calling 
recognizing and looking at things that surprise us. That surprise them in that age and surprise us even today if we will allow them to surprise us. We saw the first surprise was that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, the one that he loved that he waited two more days before going down to see him. And we recognize, and we're not going to go back over all the things that were detailed there that we saw over the course of the last few weeks. And then we saw our surprise in the disciples recognizing that He is the Messiah, recognizing that He is the King whom they had proclaimed, we believe that He is the Messiah. And yet when He said, I am going back to Jerusalem, they said, why are you going back back there? Don't you know that they're going to kill you? Don't you know, well, we'll go with you and we'll die with you. And that surprises us. And then we recognize the surprise that we saw last week as well. When he said plainly to them, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that he died. I'm rejoicing for your sake that he died. That you might believe. That you might believe. Not only that I will raise him from the dead, but that you might believe all that I've said. Because I will demonstrate my power. And you will see my glory. So there have been several things in here that have surprised us. That we don't expect to see from the Lord Jesus or hear from the disciples. In the portion that's before us this morning, I want, I'm going to move rather quickly. and we're going, to get, we're going to be a little bit more detailed in something this morning. And I think it's important that we do so. And I don't mean to get technical on you. But I think it's helpful that we understand these things as we move forward. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, present tense, the one who is believing in me, the one who has placed his faith and trust in me and is believing in me, though he die, he will live. And whoever is living and is believing in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha responds this way. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now when she says, I believe, it is not in the present tense, but it is in the perfect tense. It's in the perfect active tense. Now the perfect tense, as we know, is that tense that says, that something has happened in the past, in a pinpoint action in the past, but the results of that action, and it's a completed action, nothing needs to be added to it. It is a completed action in the past that has continuing results to the present time. Martha says, I have believed. I put my faith and trust in the one who you claim you are. I have believed that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one. I have believed that you are the Son of God. And that faith is still the same till right this moment. I believe it. 
And I believe that Jesus' statements to her are, are like this. Martha, you have believed me up to this point. Will you now continue to believe me? Will you continue to believe? Will you continue to place your faith and trust in me now in things that you cannot understand? That you have not yet experienced? Will you still believe? Will you still place your faith and trust in me? You know, the Lord has done this down through the ages with men and women. Where he has brought them along by faith. And by faith they have believed. And by faith they have placed their faith and trust in God. And then he presents them with the next thing. And he says, now will you still believe me in this? Will you still trust me in this? Will you believe me in this? We see it all through Scripture. And there is a valuable lesson that comes down to us through that. Right today. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross to save me from my sin. I believe that through the precious blood of Christ, my sins have been forgiven. I believe that he died and was buried and, was, and rose again from the dead. Do we believe those things? Do you believe it? Will you now believe me, the Lord says, for the next step? For the next hardship? For the next difficulty that will come? Will you still place your faith and trust in me? Or will, when the next test and trial comes, will you still wonder if I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. Where are we in that? Have we become those who have believed to the saving of our soul and believe even through the hard things that we cannot understand? We believe. We have believed. And when she had said these things to him, the trial and the test was still to come. Because you know what Martha does later on, don't you? We've read it. We read it this morning. You know what Martha does later on. When he brings, comes right to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. Martha says, no, Jesus, no. no you don't want to do that. It stinks in there. It is, it is bad in there. Martha. Martha. You said you believed. You said it. I told you, you would see the glory of God. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? The Lord said that all of us in this room will one day see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One day, we will look upon him face to face. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do we walk each day of our lives as if we believe it? Do we live each day of our life 
in the selections that we make, in the choices that we make, in the entertainment we enjoy, in the things that we do, as if we believe that he is going to come again. And maybe today. Do you believe? Do you believe he's coming again? Do you believe? Do you believe it might be today? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Is that the words of our mouth? If we believe these things, and we know that one day he will create a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness permanently dwells, how then ought we to live? Sometimes we live as if we believe it, but it's still something quite distant, and I can kind of just do what I want to do, and when he comes, you know, we used to have the old preachers, and I've said this before here, I know. I used to have the old preachers in the old gospel halls, and a lot of them were the, the old Irish preachers. Man, I loved them. I loved hearing them. They were a little frightening at times, but I loved hearing them preach the word of God and preach the gospel. And I remember just so clearly as a young boy sitting in that audience, having one of those old Irish preachers saying, where would you like the Lord to find you when he comes. Where would you like to him to find you when he comes? In the beer hall? In the bars? In the movie theaters? Where would you like him to find you when he comes? Oh. Those words ring though, don't they? Where would you like him to find you where would i want him to find me when he comes about his business living with integrity honoring the things that he has said he has said you know that well i'm going to read it in matthew chapter 10 these thoughts came to my mind just a little earlier. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verses that you are all very familiar with because we have a tendency sometimes to, to want to, to compromise. We have a tendency sometimes to want to compromise with the world and with the things of the world, with the entertainment of the world. He says this in Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you believe him? We ought to expect that there will be conflict. We ought to expect that many times we will not be loved by those of the world, but we will be loved by the Master. We've gotten away from our story again, haven't we? 
So when she had said these things, Martha has said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come. The teacher has come. And as soon as Mary heard it, she got up. And we remember all the Shiva stuff from a couple of weeks ago. And we're not going to go back to that again. But she got up and she went immediately to where the Lord Jesus was. She knew what she needed in time of her deep sorrow. She knew she needed the comfort of a Savior. You know, and I, as I've read this over and studied it over and reviewed it over and over again in my mind over the last course of the last weeks, months actually, because I've been speaking on this for the last couple of months, when I reviewed these things and, and Mary comes to, him, comes to her and the crowd's around and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha said the same word, you remember? If you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. But you know, when you think about the timing again, when the messengers got to Jesus, and by the time the messengers got back, he was already dead. Did, did Mary and Martha know that? Did Mary and Martha realize that even though the messengers had gotten to Jesus at the right time, there was no way that he was going to be back before the brother died, unless he spoke the word and over distance healed him. But by that time, he was already dead. I think, it's a, I think these are words of regret. I think they're saying, you know, Jesus, if he had not been off wandering around in the desert somewhere, if he had been here, if you had been around us at that time, you would have healed my brother and he'd be alive. It's not accusations they're making. It's just stating the fact. I have seen you perform miracles. I have seen you heal the sick. I have seen you raise the dead. We know what you're capable of. And if you had just been here, we know what you would have likely have done. You would have healed him. Oh, the plans and purposes of God go far beyond our understanding of things, don't they? And we've discussed that multiple times over the course of the last few weeks. Multiple times have we remembered that the purpose of God is not only, and is not always what our purpose might be, but he can change things to bring himself glory. Now, she, she comes to him, and Martha came where Jesus was. She saw him. She fell down at his feet. How often that is the place where Mary is. She's at the feet of the Lord Jesus. She's waiting now for him to teach her again. Waiting now for his comfort. Therefore, and I'm moving rather quickly because I'm looking up at the clock and I'm saying, oh boy, here we go again. Therefore, she says in verse 34, therefore it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and this word is, has that, that word of, of a sob that's a, almost a wail, she was Deeply, deeply weeping as we do when we've lost someone that we love. Where you're so emotionally moved. And he saw the Jews who came with her. They were wailing as well in the custom of the day. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Did you ever look at that word groan in the original? In the original that word can mean to be indignant. It can mean to be angry. 
It can mean to be upset with. It means it's a deep, deep emotional response. He was indignant. At what? Was he indignant because Mary was weeping and Martha was weeping? Was he indignant because all of these others were weeping when he had already told Martha that they were going to see the glory of God? Was he indignant at them? No, he wasn't indignant at them. He will join them in a moment and weep himself. But what he is indignant of is the result of sin in this world. What sin has done in this world. Sin has brought pain and sorrow and death into this world. It has brought evil and corruption into this world. And as I said in a message First or second week, I've gotten to the point where I hate sin. I hate what it does. I hate the results of it in this world. Every week we hear about new shootings and new stabbings and new killings. We see evil rampant across this world. We see wars and hatred. And it causes our hearts as believers who possess the Spirit of God to mourn and groan inside and be angry at it. Be angry at sin. And Jesus was indignant at what the world under the power of the evil one has brought about. He groaned in his spirit. He groaned in the spirit. And then it says he was troubled. He was just moved by all he saw around him. You know, death, I remember saying this one time at a, at a funeral. You know, I think the first time I ever used this phraseology was at Herb's. No, I think it was Betsy. It was Betsy's burial. And I remember saying, I remember saying that death is not a natural thing. We oftentimes say that. We'll say it's just the natural part of life. You live your life and you die. It is the most unnatural thing. It should never have been. It was sin that brought it. It was sin that brought death. Sin that brought it. And so when you stand over a grave, you can groan and you can loathe what sin has wrought. But as we've discussed in weeks prior, for us who know the Savior, for us who have been born again and know the Savior, we know that He is the resurrection and the life. And that we who have placed our faith in Him, though our bodies may die, we will never die. And we will be with Him forever. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? He groaned and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Interesting the word choice that is made here. It's not the same word that was used before of weeping. Here, the word that is used is a Soft. It really means just to shed a tear. 
It's a soft weeping. The tears are pooling up in the Lord Jesus' eyes and they're falling gently down his face as he's on his way to the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. Even knowing that he was going to raise him up from the dead, he saw the results of sin. And he wept. He wept along with Martha and Mary, who were brokenhearted, that did not yet understand what would be. And the Jews said, oh, look how he loved him. Look how he loved him. And they question his motives. And then Jesus again, verse 38, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, still indignant before the tomb, the cave with the stone laid against it. Take away the stone. You know, I, I, he, I know <laughs> when, when you read this portion, you, you, you can almost sense, you can almost sense that this wasn't a simple, Martha, can you take away the stone? Can, can, you, can someone move the stone, please? It was, take away the stone! Take it away! Move the stone! And poor, poor Sue just about had a heart attack. <laughs> take away the stone! And there's the hesitancy to believe. This is the one who, when, you, when he gives a command, you are to obey. No, Lord, you're wrong here. He stinks. We can't, we can't open the tomb. It's going to be most unpleasant for everyone around here. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone. And he prayed out loud so all could hear him. Sometimes that's a good thing, isn't it? To pray out loud so people and men and women around can hear your words. He did this for them. So that they might hear and know that the power to raise the dead is God's and God's alone. And that he himself was God incarnate. And he, the stone is rolled away. And he says again, now with a loud voice. Loud voice, sir. Lazarus! Come forth! And out of the tomb, now with the stone rolled away, comes Lazarus. I don't know if he was coming like this because it was all wrapped up when it closed. I don't know how, I don't know if he floated out and came. I don't know how he got up, but he was wrapped. In the clothes. Sometimes they wrap the legs separately, which is probably the case here. And he came out haltingly, I'm sure, from the tomb. His face was still covered. That would give you fright at night. And all the people around saw Lazarus. Now, it's interesting what happens. You know, is it interesting? Well, maybe it's not interesting to you. It was interesting to me. It's interesting to me the wording sometimes of Scripture. Could he not have spoken those words? And Lazarus came out and 
the wrappings burst asunder and he came through. Wouldn't that have been something to see? But what does he say? He says to the people, loose him. And they go over and loose him. What does that tell you? What does it tell me? You know, the Lord brings life to Lazarus. He brought life to you and I. You and I were saved when we believed and put our faith and trust in him. But now we have our brothers and sisters around us to loose us. We've already been loosed from our, our sin. We've already been loosed from the bondage of sin. We've already been loosed, as it were, from death. But now we have each other working to take away now all the other stuff that holds you. And through the teaching of the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God, layer by layer is removed and the bondage that was once holding you is set free by the Spirit of God. Are we grave clothes removers? Are we those who are seeing those who've come to know Christ and then assist them on their initial journey out of the grave clothes and into this abundant and marvelous life? Are we grave clothes removers? Well, one day, the greatest grave clothes remover of all will come. And he will descend from heaven with a shout. The sound of the trumpet. And the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ, like Lazarus, shall rise up. And meet the Lord in the air. And then, if they are wrapped in any kind of grave clothes, those will burst asunder. And they will go into the presence of the Lord. Do you believe this? Father, we are so thankful. So thankful that we have a Savior who can bring life into death because we were dead in our trespasses and sins and He made us alive together in Thy Son. Oh, Father, we're so thankful. That one day, even though these bodies, if the Lord be not come, will lay down in sleep in the grave, our soul and our spirit will never die and will be with you forever. And then that glorious day, the body also will be raised up incorruptible. And we look forward to that time. What a time it will be. What a time it was outside that grave watching Lazarus come forth. What a time it will be when all the graves are opened up. All of the believers are gathered up. What a day it will be. And I will be there to experience it. Thank you. Because of your grace and because of the blood that was shed for my sin. And I'm thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.